welcome to another edition of Talking Fußball Direct, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I am your host, Matt Herman, and this week we're getting closer and closer to the point where I think we're ready to make some real judgments about who's actually good in this league and who might be in real trouble. With me this week is uh, Terry DeFellin, a man uh, who needs introduction, which is why I just did one. I'm glad to know that I exist. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, we all have a right to an introduction. I, I introduce myself. I introduce you. We could go on with, you know, all of our thousands of listeners, but that, that, that would not make for a very good podcast. They're more deserving of a grand introduction than we are because they're our listeners. All right. Maybe we could leave a little short space where each podcast listener can introduce themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely on board for that. Let's, uh, let's, let's do that. We should get one listener to introduce themselves and then introduce us. Oh, man. That, you're, this is mind-bending stuff. This is a new Patreon level. <laughs> Spectacular. <laughs> I like it. All right. Uh, this week, we, of course, uh, you know, we, we have a couple of games which, um, you know, I had some conversations uh, surrounding them and some sendings off, which, um, you know, have caused some waves. We have some results, which I think uh, might have surprised a few people. And we have uh, the end of an era down in the Schwarzwald. Here comes part one of Talking Foosball Direct. I think the place where we can start is with the Bundesliga's two premier sides. Sometimes we do things like this. We talk about the big teams first. Sometimes we try to avoid that. But I really feel like there's uh, something maybe to be gleaned or <laughs> analyzed about what happened to these two teams, the, the two premier sides of the league, FC Bayern. Borussia Dortmund. They were both in action on successive nights on match day six. And each one was reduced to 10 men for uh, quite a long stretch in their respective matches. Only one, though, seemed to really crumble under that strain. Can you guess which one? On Friday night, Bayern, they were, you know, they traveled to take on the bottom side in the league, top flight newcomers, Koita Fürth. They didn't really manhandle them, though, like they had done to promoted side Bochum the week previous. But they did come away with a comfortable 3-1 win. It did help, of course, that perhaps they, you know, they'd taken the 2-0 lead in the first half before Benjamin Pavard got himself sent off for a kind of nasty challenge on Julian Green, who was bearing down on goal. The next evening, though, Dortmund, they were in Mönchengladbach, a team who had admittedly gotten off to a disappointing start this season, but they do, of course, retain plenty of quality. And Dortmund had a much tougher time. They went down 1-0 to a Dennis Zakaria strike in the 37th minute, and then three minutes later, they gave their opponents a man advantage when Mo Dahoud decided to moan a little bit too much to Dennis Aitakin after that referee had called him for a foul on Joe Scally. Where do you want to start, Terry? Do you want to start with the thrill of Bayern's victory or the agony of Dortmund's defeat? Oh, let's start with Bayern, shall we? I think let's uh, give them the seniority since they're top of the table. Yep, nine Bundesliga titles and counting. It, uh, you know, membership has its privileges. The nine in a row club gets you to the head of the queue very frequently. Okay. So thinking about Bayern, this, you know, I, I kind of mentioned it before. This was not the kind of swashbuckling, you know, putting a weak side to the sword kind of a performance, but it is a kind of win that we, 
as longtime Bundesliga viewers have come to recognize as well, which is the sort of what Germans call the Arbeitssieg. You know, they won 3-1, which for a lot of teams would be a very definitive, very, you know, heartening margin of victory. But for Bayern, it was just kind of a kind of a day at the office. I mean, they got pressed a little bit more by Fürth than I think they maybe had expected, which, you know, caused them momentary problems at times. But ultimately, this was pretty good stuff from them. Yeah, it was a decent performance, let's be honest, and particularly in view of the fact that they spent nearly half of the game playing with just 10 guys. Yeah, as you said, being 2-0 up in the first half certainly helped. But yeah, I mean, in that first half, they, I think they anticipated that Furt would be well-organised, would be hard-pressing and would be maybe a, a bit physical. And I think also they've seen, I mean, that have looked at Furt and they'll have seen how well-organised that team is, well-disciplined the team is, even if the individual talent within the squad is probably not sufficient to really trouble them. And I think that they handled that really well, handled the press really well, broke through the press really well and were comfortable. And I suspect had they had 11 men that they would have probably gone on and, and over the course of the second half, perhaps towards the end of the of the second half, would have would have accumulated a, a few more goals as Furt would have begun to have, have, have tired and, and lost perhaps a bit of heart with the relentlessness that is Bayern Munich. The manner with which they handled that red card, I mean, is just a measure of just just how much they've got it going on by Munich. It's not that they um, carried on as normal, not at all. They made adjustments and kept going, but they were able to handle the situation, you know, not effortlessly, but with sufficient ease to never really be truly troubled. And uh, and it was, an, it was a very impressive performance. And it makes you wonder, I suspect that very few clubs in the Bundesliga now would probably have been able to have taken advantage of Bayern Munich with 10 men. So I don't think Furt should feel bad about it, is guess what I'm saying. No, no, no. I, I actually think the more I see of Furt, despite the fact that they've only picked up one point, the more I think that they're not going to be, you know, utter pushovers. I think they're still going to lose a lot of games. And I do think they're going to go down as well. But I said it last week and I'll say it again. I don't think that they are going to be the sort of legendarily weak side that, you know, maybe they were the first time out when they were in the Bundesliga or other teams we've seen uh, in that mold. Any players whose performances leaped out for you with Bayern? I mean, if I had to say one, I, I would certainly say Joshua Kimmich. I felt like from an offensive contribution perspective, this, I, I don't want to say this is a totally new wrinkle in his game because he's, of course, scored plenty of goals in the past. But the composure he's been showing lately in getting into dangerous areas and taking, you know, accurate shots from distance as he did when scoring the Bayern's second goal. I think, <laughs> I think it's just uh, bad news for the rest of the league when you have somebody who's, whose game was already very well rounded, just adding a, another aspect, perhaps. Yeah, completely agree with you. Like most people been on the uh, Joshua Kimmich train for some time now, but he is very much in his imperial phase this season. And, and one of the reasons why this team is just like so unstoppable. I think Goretzka as well is a, a player who just exudes class and again just seems to be in full control of himself and his game and is a hugely important player for them. 
But I guess I would probably also like to single out Leroy Sané, who, you know, has clearly had a really, really, really tough time since his injury when he was at Manchester City. And it is great that Nagelsmann and indeed Hansi Flick for the German national team are getting a tune out of that guy. And he had another decent game again as well, even despite the fact that he picked up a booking later on in the game. I thought he was definitely uh, extremely noteworthy. It's difficult to really single out players with Bayern because they all tend to play at a specific level and you almost forget just how good Lewandowski is sometimes because he's just so consistently magnificent that he seems to blend into the background almost sometimes. But again, but I guess those are the players that I would probably single out. Yeah, it, it is interesting how they were able to compensate as easily as they did for uh, going down a man very early in that second half. <laughs> You know, the quality throughout that side, sometimes it beats quantity. Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't remember whether or not we spoke much about the Barcelona result, but I mean, the manner with which they just, we know Barcelona are going through something of a decline, rather alarming decline very quickly, but the manner with which they were just dispatched and the way that they played the subsequent two games against Bochum and against and, and in here against Furt, we've seen them, you know, that cemented their place sort of domestically and internationally. They are, they are probably the best team in, in Europe right now. And if the Champions League was actually a league, then they would almost certainly finish top of it at the end of this season. But it's a knockout competition. So it's, that doesn't necessarily work like that. Just you wait until we get that uh, that algorithmically generated matchup machine that tells us who's playing who each week. And they allegedly are going to give us the tastiest matchups week after week. It, you know, if, if that ever happens. Maybe, maybe it'll be something more like a league, at least at the first part. I don't know. Let's switch gears. Let's talk about the problems. Let's go over to the uh, the Schwarzgelben. You know, this is a side who we, we did devote a fair bit of time to last week, so it probably doesn't need to be that 100% focus. But this was a troubling performance. I would say even leaving aside Mo Dahoud and, you know, his red card, whether you think it was justified or not, what you think of his judgment in putting himself in that position, even leaving that aside and, and, the, and the difficulties that Dortmund had with 10 men, they weren't terribly good before Mo Dahoud went off either. I thought. Where does this performance leave you feeling about Dortmund's ability to, you know, frankly, play well without Marco Reus and Erling Haaland? Well, I mean, on the evidence of this one game, and hopefully from a Dortmund's perspective, it's the only game that we whereby Haaland and Reus are missing at the same time for the rest of the season. It doesn't bode well. These are the Issues inherent, I think, when you have you know a squad of players who are going go through regular season or by season transitions of different coaches is that they never seem to settle. And we talked about this a little bit last, or quite a lot last week. So let's not, as you say, let's not labour the point. Let I me mean, let us just uh, throw a quick stat in. FB Ref had Dortmund's xG is 0.4 this season. I think that their season average is considerably higher than that. Yeah. So yeah. far, it's 11.6. So that makes sense, though, doesn't it, right? I mean, like Royce and Haaland missing, then, you know, that's that's likely what you're going to see. But what you're hoping for is you're hoping for some kind of coherent response to that setback. 
even if it's unsuccessful, because, you know, it's one game, there's an opposition, they have a say in these things. <laughs> it's not always straightforward. But there didn't appear to be any kind of coherent response to that kind of problem. And that's, I think, is, is Dortmund's problem. I don't believe that this is particularly controversial. And I think most people would, you know, you know, this is not hindsight stuff. I think most people would have said, well, you know, where would Dortmund be without Royce and Haaland? And the answer is losing 1-0 to Mönchengladbach. Or, you know, I mean, it's probably worth just just quickly stating that obviously Marius Wolf had an absolute guilt-edged chance to equalise at the death. And had that happened, then the narrative may have shifted ever so slightly. I don't think it would have taken away from the performance because that didn't change. And it's frustrating for the sending off because a lot of faith is being put in Modahood this season. Um, And I think I've said in the past that, you know, I'm I'm one of the many people who feel that he's good enough to have a a senior role in that team. And and then this has happened. I appreciate that there is an argument uh, and particularly Dennis Itikin's involvement, role in in Dahoud's sending off is, is somewhat contentious. But I would still suggest to you that you know, Dahoud would have to look back on that and think, well, I could have taken steps to avoid pissing off the referee. Yeah, what aspect of Dennis Aitakin's involvement in this do you have any questions about? It doesn't seem all that unclear to me. Well, I feel the only thing that I would probably highlight was it was just how visibly angry Aitakin was with Dahoud when he sent him off. And it occurred to me that, and again, these are, I, I, I have literally written a book about Borussia Dortmund. I am hugely biased. So take this with a pinch of salt. But it occurred to me through my eyes that perhaps he'd lost control of his emotions and had overreacted. I've come to reflect further on this because this is the kind of guy that I am and feel that it's, it takes a lot to get under a referee like Dennis Atkins' skin. He's, uh, you know, top-class ref, ref some of the biggest, most intense football matches on the planet. You know, he's, he's going to be difficult to rile up without justification. So, I mean, I still feel, and I feel on balance that really this is down to the player and really he has only himself to blame. And it's my hope that he learns from it and as a consequence becomes a better pro. And because, you know, Dortmund need Dahoud, you know, they need him to be on form and they need him to be taking up that leadership role because they are a better team when he's playing well. Yeah, I can see the argument there that um, when a referee would appear to be doing something out of uh, of peak or of spite or anything uh, in that sort of basket of <laughs> unbecoming feelings, it's not going to be great, especially if you're a Dortmund fan. But then again, I'm not. And I, for the most part, think... If a referee thinks he needs to pull that card out, you know, in, in a lot of cases, you just have to go along with it. I don't, I have no idea what Mojahood said to him. I, I could see how he gestured at him and how he sort of, you know, was you know, expressing a, a degree of not only anger, but like sort of, you know, fed upness or disdain for the way that Itakin w- was calling the game or calling him specifically. And like, in general, Whenever you do that, <laughs> you run the risk of getting a yellow card. And if you've already got one of those yellow cards, it's real dumb to do that. Yeah. So this is the thing that just that does bug me about it, is that we, you know you're on a yellow card, and so you've got to you've got to keep your emotions in check, and you you do need to be careful. And I think I suspect Isaacin was probably that was going through his mind. He was like thinking, right, this is brilliant. You know, like you've been literally cautioned once, you've ignored me. 
And now I'm going to have to send you off. And probably lost his temper because of that. He's just like, you know, I'm, and so, and gave him the bollocking on pitch that he deserved, frankly. And I'm pretty, pretty annoyed about it on reflection. But my initial response at the time was different. I mean, that happens in the heat of the moment when, you know, everyone's watching football matches and gets emotional. Yeah. Uh, but that's my, that's my considered view anyway. Yeah. I just maybe put a lid on this and, or maybe not, depending on how you react to this. But I really have a problem with the narrative that a lot of football watchers and most specifically fans of, of teams who feel victimized saying that a referee ruined the game by sending a player off. There are maybe a few specific instances. Most of those are probably behind us in the pre-VAR era where, you know, players will have been sent off for either a foul that didn't happen or another player's dive or something along those lines. But like getting sent off for dissent when you already have a yellow, like <laughs> that referee didn't ruin the game by doing that. The player ruined his own game by doing that. I mean, it, it, it does affect the outcome. It, it will definitely bum a fan of a team out who, who you know, whose player gets sent off. But that's just the rules, man. Tough. Yeah, I saw Nico Gonzalez getting sent off last week for Fiorentina because he took the mickey out of the referee, was applauding the referee. And it was his, and I think he got two yellows in, within <laughs> within seconds of each other for doing it. And it was, it was, it was quite funny, actually. But the fact of the matter is Nico Gondolari was being having his shirt pulled by the opposition player really blatantly, really obviously, and the ref didn't see it. And he should have done. And so Gonzalez lost his shit. I have some sympathy for the player under those circumstances yeah. because everyone's adrenaline is running really, really hot at the moment. It's super competitive. And so in that moment, and it's super competitive. And I, I feel a degree of sympathy for the player and wonder whether or not maybe a referee might have actually gone over to him and said, all right, look, okay, fair enough. If you say you got your shirt tied, I believe you. I didn't see it, but let's just like, let's not go take this any further. Otherwise, uh, and I think sometimes I'd like to see a little bit more of that. You know, there are some referees who are, I think can be a little bit, I mean, like, you know, we're in England, we have Mike Dean. <laughs> you know, we have had in the past Mark Clattenberg, you know, so I don't know. But I, I think in general, Matt, your point is entirely valid. And it's certainly valid in the context of the conversation of this match. Yeah, I mean, he did foul Scally on the play. Totally. It wasn't a serious foul, but it was a foul. He had no right to argue. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's leave those two teams behind. We, of course, uh, will we'll be watching them at midweek. You know, BFL Bay have a home game against uh, Sporting Club de Portugal. And uh, Bayern are at home to, uh, to Dinamo Kiev. So, fingers crossed for both of them, as we are, you know, Bundesliga fans above all, I guess. Let's switch over and talk about uh, the end of an era in the Bundesliga. I think this was, you know, it's it's not the kind of storyline that necessarily gets everybody juiced, but I think the longer the longer you watch a league like this, the more it, it probably will. You know, SA Freiburg, they bagged another three points, which is not news, of course. They do that a lot these days. But they did it in grand style. They did th won 3-0 in front of their home fans for the very last time at the uh, Dreisamstadion. This is a ground that that has had a nice long life. It's a, it's it's a fairly ramshackle old school ground that's um you know becoming increasingly rare in Germany uh, and and you know while what I have seen of the new Europa Park SC Stadion looks nice. I think a lot of people, you know, both Freiburg fans and neutrals are really really going to miss this ground. What do you, what do you reckon there, Terry? 
Yeah, it, it will always be my biggest regret in my Bundesliga and German football life to have not made it to this ground. Me too. Me too. I, I, if it weren't, I like to tell myself that like, if it weren't for COVID, I might've made another trip to Germany and gotten it done. But yeah, this totally, I've wanted to go for years and I just haven't. Yeah, I guess probably, I mean, certainly you from a geographical point of view, it raises certain, certain issues. But even from my point of view, getting down to the Black Forest is not you know, lots of people do it, but I mean, uh, personally, it's always been because I graduate. I tend to get more towards the north and to North Rhine-Westphalia and to and to the Rhine. That tends to be my stomping ground, and maybe Berlin. And I have never been down south. I've never been down to the Black Forest. I'd love to go. And my wife keeps saying that she'd love to go there as well. And I keep meaning to take her, but we, we, it never happened. And by the time I get round there, of course, it'll be kind of too late. Stadium's not going anywhere, of course. The youth teams will continue to play there, uh, and the women's senior team—it's their home stadium as well—and that is a that is a magnificent thing. And uh, I welcome the time when, in fact, women's football is so popular in Germany that they can pack that place out, and that'll be a, a glorious thing. And and it's also a beautiful thing that they're keeping that stadium. Uh, you know, other clubs <laughs> have to uh, bulldoze their stadium and sell them off for for, for yuppie homes. So it's nice that uh, that that it's still there. So. Uh, while it was extremely emotional and Christian Streich was in tears at the final whistle, you know, it's not the end of the stadium. What, what's interesting, of course, is what happens to Freiburg, you know, when they move and, you know, how will it affect their form, I suppose? Yeah, yeah, because, um, you know, despite the fact that Freiburg, I don't want to oversell Freiburg. I mean, Freiburg are a very decent Bundesliga side who have spent, you know, a long period of time over the last, I don't know, 30 or so years in the top flight, which is more than a lot of clubs that size can say. But people all across the league talk about that ground not only as being a fun place to play, but like a very difficult place to play, a place where the crowd is a real player in the drama, which is, you know, true at some stadiums more than others and definitely true of the Stadium. I just wanted to switch over to the game action for a moment. What you're, I mean, on its face, and I, I kind of just um, tip my hand to say that, you know, Freiburg are, are not a very big club and they are not a club who has created a lot of waves, let's just say, with winning titles or even getting to Europe very frequently. It would seem that on its face, that they would have a lot in common with a club like Augsburg, especially the longer Augsburg sticks around in the top flight. But these were not two teams really trying to do the same thing with football, were they? <laughs> no, no. it's really interesting because if you look at the two coaches, Christian Streich and Marcus Feinziel, both of whom have actually got a long history with their respective clubs and both of whom brought success and in one case continues to, but both in the past have brought success to their respective clubs. The key difference being that Marcus Feinziel left for uh, apparently greener pastures. He went to Schalke <laughs> and Christian Strike didn't go to Schalke. He could have gone to Schalke, if I remember rightly. I, I believe he was he was courted strongly. Oh, I, I think he's had offers from a lot of big clubs over the years. But he's recognised wisely that he is the absolute perfect manager for that club and they are perfect for him. And he's also, I think his ego is sufficiently in check to not sort of display you know too much ambition and think well look you know what this works for me and I'm happy so I'm just going to stay here and make this work 
Uh, Weinstein, on the other hand, didn't. He went for the car, as we say in England, and when he probably should have stayed and taken the money. And had he stayed at Augsburg, you have to wonder where Augsburg would be. Uh, perhaps realistically, they might only be five or six places above <laughs> the, 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 where they currently are. But the the reality is, is that their world would be a completely different place. They'd probably be in a lot more stable club. They'd probably be a, a lot happier club. They'd probably be a lot easier to watch and a lot better to watch than the current ramshackle that they are. Now, it might well be that Vancey will turn Augsburg around because, I mean, he set them up right. They were a bit timid. I think that maybe despite the fact that, you know, it's not exactly a, a massive stadium. It's not exactly the Westfalen, but it, there's a lot of emotion. There was a lot of emotion in that ground, you could tell, and they may have picked up on an awful lot of that. The opposition were hugely motivated to win, and I think it kind of humbled them a little bit, and I think, you know, they were very, very timid, and, and that's fine. They actually played pretty decent, particularly in the second half, where they kind of got their act together, I think, but of course it was, it was way too late by then. So, you know, I think there's some interesting comparisons to be made between, you know, those two clubs. They are run quite differently and financed differently, but in many respects, they are quite similar in my view. Yeah, I can say that I, I think clubs in that sort of range of finances, of, of size, of city, could all do with being a little bit more like Freiburg and sort of <laughs> thinking a bit more modestly while also trying to promote something you know, which is to say continuity, sort of simple attacking football, not necessarily anything too ambitious, but in general, positive football is what Freiburg are known for. I'm actually also interested how, if any way, SA Freiburg are going to change now that they're going to have a fancy new stadium. If there's going to be any temptation to think too big or, you know, change the character of the team. I have no notion that, um, you know, Christian Streich will ever voluntarily leave, but, um, you know, relationships never last forever in the football world. One day there will be a post Christian Streich era at Freiburg, you know. Yeah, just as there was a post Volker Finker era as well. Exactly. Um, Although he was back. He was back at the game. I saw him on the stands. He was indeed, yeah, and it was great to see him. But I would like to think that Freiburg, because they have been able to manage these transitions in the past, would do so again. The extra 12,000 tickets they're going to sell is going to, and the extra 12,000 burgers and beers and whatnot that they're going to sell and and, and money that they're going to make from that stadium is not going to matter a great deal in terms of the transfer market, but it should matter a great deal in terms of expanding the foundations of the club. And I guess what I mean by that is probably just playing more money into their development so that they continue to develop those players. And I hope and assume that that's the plan is basically what you're going to do with the money is to reinvest it in the club. It doesn't always work like that because this is football and people can do, you know, funny things in football. But this is a club that has resolutely made the right decisions for a period of decades now. It would be odd were they to suddenly stop just because they've moved house. Yeah, I would tend to agree. All right, so let's leave things there for uh, part one of Talking Foosball Direct. Uh, We'll be back in just a sec. All right, here comes part two of Talking Foosball Direct, the part where we, you know, sort sort of mop up the rest of the storylines in the league. There's actually quite a few more which are worth talking about. I tend to want to start with the game that I sort of see as the uh, the crisis hot potato pass of the week. 
you know, this was this involved uh, RB Leipzig and uh, Hertha BSC. Leipzig decided to pass the torch over to their, you know, fellow Eastern German team, Hertha. Maybe this is an exaggeration, but maybe not. I mean, RB did come into this game on four points, which is, you know, the worst start they've ever had in the Bundesliga. Jesse Marsh's name was starting to come up in a lot of negative uh, contexts. Whereas, you know, Hertha, they had you know, gone through their own sort of mini crisis at the beginning of the season, going, you know, winless in their first three, but then getting back-to-back wins against the two promoted sides. <laughs> and man, this was emphatic. 6-0 to Leipzig. This, I think, has the potential maybe to, to be sort of a fuse to light Leipzig's fire. Certainly seeing Christopher and Kunku put in the kind of performance what previously we had only seen him do in the Champions League this year is a great sign for them. But it also asks a ton of questions about Hertha and, you know, whether they can actually hang with anybody but the league's weakest sides. First off, Terry, do you have a reaction to, to this Leipzig performance? I mean, I thought it was very strong, but, you know, the opposition... Yeah, I mean, I haven't watched the whole game back, so uh, you'll probably you probably did, and we'll probably be in a better position to to, to evaluate the strength of, of Leipzig. But what it is heartening from a Leipzig point of view, of course, is the response. And given the degree of yeah early season crisis talk mixed in with that sort of heady mixture of ooh, it's a US coach, and you know, and they're losing, and oh, it's you know, what's going on. Uh, this has kind of put that to bed. I mean, the Champions League hammering at City aside, obviously, doesn't, you know, bearing in mind that they scored, what, three goals in that game as well. They've got the personnel. They just need to gel. I think that's what we said last week. And it does appear to have come good here. But I assume, Matt, that it was mainly down to a very compliant Hertha. Yeah. I think Leipzig were very good in this game, but Hertha were also very bad. I mean, that's very often, of course, the case in 6-0 results. <laughs> Let's be honest here. But I can't imagine that any any Leipzig fan would, have, would come away from this game with any sort of even slightly begrudging reaction. I mean, even though they were playing a team that has really had some pretty serious downs this season. I really think, I mean, you know, Bruges are, are their opponents at, at midweek. They're at home to them. And then they have Bochum in the league next weekend. You know, you were saying before we started recording that, you know, your estimation of Bruges is probably a little higher than some of the folks who are, are not very familiar with how they're playing these days. But nonetheless, that is a, a home to Bruges. You should win that game. If they don't, maybe we're right back into the same sort of, you know, our, our Leipzig iffy this season or have they taken a step back under Mars or you know, yada, yada, yada. I really think that these are winnable games. I think they should win them. I think they will win them. I think the future is looking better for them. I don't follow Belgian football very, very closely at all. And I tend to do, I think what a lot of people do is I'll I'll follow people who follow Belgian football very closely. It's the next best thing. The general consensus is that they are a tasty football club. They've got a good squad of players. They've moved some good players on, to be fair but that they're decent and there'll be a challenge. And I am looking forward actually to Leipzig and Bruges. I think that's a game I'm planning on watching because I'd like to see for myself whether or not there's anything in that and to see how well Leipzig meet that particular challenge. It was strictly from a footballing point of view. I mean, like many people, I don't particularly care for Leipzig as a club, but they do have a fine group of players and they do play some very good football when they want to. And that's going to be quite a tasty game. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And then yeah, if they... Do well out of that, 
you know, I think they've got a pretty winnable game following weekend. Yeah, Freiburg is there following after the international break, I believe. Yeah, we've just massively bigged up Freiburg, so we'll we shall see about <laughs> that's that. Tearing down, but of course that's totally a winnable, a winnable match. Because, I mean, the Freiburg are very, very good. But of course, you know, like most clubs in the Bundesliga, they're totally beatable. So, I mean, it's, it's only Bayern who I think is like probably is going to require something amazing to beat them. So everyone's there for the taking. So and they come through that. So, you know, I think from the neutral point of view, we've got the prospect of two very, very tasty football matches coming up involving Leipzig, which would be definitely worth checking out. Yeah. Any thoughts about Hertha at the moment? They're clearly kind of a hot mess right now. I think the key thing with Hertha is is that they were able to get the points against the really bad sides in the last two games. They got those two wins. I think if they had not got those maximum points out of those two games, then we'd be in deep crisis mode, I think, with Hertha. There's a long way for them to go, but I mean, I, I think I said this last time, I think it's worth repeating. There's comfortably, I think, three worse teams than Hertha in this division. But maybe only three, though, to be fair. And that's what it's looking like. What about you, Matt? Um, Would you like me to set a, like a two-minute timer to? <laughs> no, to I, I, I think I think at least for the for today, I can I can probably uh, corral myself. Yeah, I actually agree with your estimation there. I, I think that really it's going to be critical for them to beat the teams who are clearly at their level or worse. And by that I mean Bielefeld, Augsburg, the two teams they already did beat, and maybe thinking slightly more generously, if say maybe Stuttgart keeps hanging around the bottom half of the table, obviously it's important for them to beat Union because reasons. We'll see how that turns out. You know, I just think that this is going to be a team where you have to write off quite a few games, or you have to sort of scrape some draws against uh, better sides because right now they're shorn of so much quality. Obviously, there's a lot of problems with that quality. You know, Mateus Cunha, John Cordoba, Doni Lucabacchio, people complain about their attitudes while they were at the club. They complain about their attitudes after they left. But, you know, we're playing Dennis Yastrzemski quite a lot right now. And this is a guy who found it kind of difficult to get games in the third division. And uh, at least against Leipzig, he was one of the only guys who looked like he was trying at times. So clearly there's some problems. I think it's going to take a while before the team figures out what their, their their sort of best formation, best team is. There's been a lot of injury trouble, especially in defense lately, which certainly didn't help things against a quick side like Leipzig. I don't think we're going to get smashed by too many teams. I think we will get smashed again by Bayern and Leipzig and maybe Dortmund too. But uh, it's just going to be uh, it's going to be a long season. It's going to be a long season. Yeah, they're in for a slog, aren't they? I mean, I have faith that Dardai will whip them into some kind of coherent shape over the course of the season. That was two minutes close to on the button, I think. Yeah, it's impressive. <laughs> All right, let's leave this behind. Let's talk about Hoffenheim and their big win they got over Wolfsburg. This is actually the first time Wolfsburg have given up a game. They've, you know, Hoffenheim beat them. First team to do so. Andre Kramaric scored to sort of open things up after Reed Lebaku had scored to open things up. And, you know, when Kramaric scores, that means maybe he's going to go on a tear for uh, the next three or four games before going off the boil again. Uh, so enjoy it while it lasts, folks. Anything to read into the fact that this is Wolfsburg's first loss or the fact that uh, Hoffenheim were the team to do it? to them. Is it reassess you're you're thinking about either of these teams? Not especially, no. I mean this was a close this was a decisive result, but I think it was a pretty close match, looking at the stats at least anyway. It was seemed to be a pretty close match. Mm-hmm. 
So I think just better finishing won the day here. So I don't think that this is this signals the the dawn of a, a new age of enlightenment at Hoffenheim, and nor I think does it signal a, a crisis at Wolfsburg. Sadly, it's just a, a bunch of stuff that happens. Yeah, it's one to keep an eye on. I think it'll be interesting to see. It could be uh, also a little bit of a matter of, of Wolfsburg having their heads at you know halfway into their game against Sevilla on Wednesday, which will probably be a pretty stern test. I think Sevilla's been playing well this season. Let's think a little bit about uh, Leverkusen and their 1-0 win over Mainz. You know, maybe Florian Wirtz. He liked all that praise, which we heaped on him last week on Talking Foosball Direct. Mm. So he gave us a little more good stuff to talk about. He scored the only goal of this game. Got one just past the hour mark. Probably the most influential player in the game as well. They are going to be taking on Celtic on Thursday in Glasgow. Any thoughts about where that might send them? Well, my first thought is I'd love to get a ticket to Glasgow and go out there and watch that game. Yeah, hell yeah, man. Because I'd love to see this Leverkusen team. The form that Leverkusen is showing at the moment, the reliability of the way that they play and the competence that they're showing is all a little bit odd for Leverkusen, isn't it? I mean, we see these in patches, don't we? But we don't always see it with consistency and it's still very early in the season. Suggests to me that they go to Celtic and get a result. Definitely, because like Glasgow, Celtic are okay. Don't get me wrong, they're okay. And But they're going through a bit of a transitionary period themselves under their new coach. They've got a new Australian guy, coach called Ange Postacoglu. I'm sure our Australian listeners will know him intimately. He's an extremely well-known figure around the way. And it's great that they've got him in there, actually. But whether or not they're ready for a team that's as professional and as slick as Leverkusen are right now, I very much doubt. This was a hugely impressive result, can I say? I mean, Mainz, we know how, how good Mainz are and how tough they are to beat down. And they stuck at it and they got the reward that they deserve in Florian Wurz. Yes, newsflash, he's a classy player. I mean, it's difficult to know how this will look out over the course of the season because, I mean, we won't really know what kind of season Leverkusen are going to have until, I don't know. We don't know, rather, we don't know whether Leverkusen are going to have a good season until maybe one or two weeks before the end of the season because that's just how Leverkusen are. But they have started this season like looking oddly focused, to borrow a line from The Simpsons. Yep, although <laughs> it's hard not to think back to last season when, you know, they were absolute dynamite for the first, what was it, 14 or 15 games until they played Bayern <laughs> and got beat somewhat unluckily and then fell off a cliff. It was, it was 14 games in 87 minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Utterly yeah, crazy. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so yes, we can do that. So if they get debagged by Bayern or something like that, then we'll see. I really hope not because the authentic hipster Bundesliga fan in me says you shouldn't like Leverkusen, but I've always had a soft spot for that club. You know, I think the Bundesliga is usually a happier place when they're playing well. Yeah, I like them. I mean, I feel like they, in a lot of ways, are, you know, a team that does the right thing with their, you know, plasticness. I mean, even that moniker, I feel, is a little bit unfair considering, you know, <laughs> it's Leverkusen, man. There would there would be no Leverkusen if there wasn't a, a buyer factory there. Like, what, what are they supposed to do? Like, 
just refuse to acknowledge that fact? Yeah, I, I think the issue with Leverkusen isn't that the existence of the club per se. Uh, I mean, when I went to Leverkusen, you know, it came across as just being this really nice cosy works club, like a nice amenity that's been laid on by the local employer for its community. Yeah, and yeah. You know, I am massively here for that. That is a good thing in capital letters. It totally is. The issue is, is that they tend to put the kind of money in that moves them above their station that in reality they would be a grey mouse club uh, and maybe even a second tier club if they didn't have enjoy ex- what people consider to be excessive patronage from the bio corporation and that's the issue and then it's tied up again with big pharma and how big pharma can sometimes you know sports wash some of their you know so you know i mean but this i suspect is probably something for talking football extra and not talking football direct yeah yeah maybe we, maybe we, nick can get his teeth into this one we need to move directly to uh, eintracht frankfurt they uh drew one one with cologne which considering cologne's uh strong start to the season i think that eintracht can probably be satisfied with that result elias giri put cologne up early on this one but uh rafael Barre, you know ended up evening the score Deep, deep, deep into first half injury time due to a real string of uh, head injuries and, and treatments on the pitch. Any thoughts about where these two teams are at right now? I mean, it's definitely been a case of growing pains for Eintracht under Oliver Glasner, whereas Stefan Baumgart, he's like a some kind of a lion, uh, no, a goat tamer. He's he's just gotten them whipped into shape. He's a goat whisperer. <laughs> yeah, I think is. Maybe where you're going with that one. Yeah, the Goat Whisperer is still working his magic uh, unbeaten this time last year. This would have been a, a home win. No question about it. Eintracht have started terribly in a terrible kind of nightmarish Wolthoff Mannheim kind of way. And, and there's still question marks, I think, about the suitability of the coach for the club, at which we've raised and others have raised. But say, I think that they, both teams can claim a decent point from that one. Yeah. What else do we have here? Uh, Union Berlin got a late winner from substitute Kevin Behrens. He dashed Armenia Bielefeld's hopes of earning a fifth draw in six games. Are you disappointed? Yeah, I guess I am. And not as disappointed as you, I suspect, because, I mean, like a lot of neutrals, I've got a soft spot for Union. And uh, and, and again, I mean, a, a bit like Freiburg, they're a club that seems to be, you know, making the most of what they've got and living their best life. So, so yeah, I, I guess I'm quite happy to see that. I mean, I really admire Armenia's ability to... Certainly, I thought it was great that they that they stayed up last season. But I think I said it you know, at the time, and I may well end up saying this every week when they're asked to comment about Armenia. So, you know, if it wasn't for Schalke and Werder Bremen last season, I think Bielefeld would be in Bundesliga 2 now. So, so I, I just think we just need to re- reflect on that. Union are going through a tough patch. Obviously, they're in the middle of their European season as well now. So, you know, they'll be grateful, I think, for the three points. Yeah, where where does their um, UEFA Europa Conference League adventure take them on Thursday? It's 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 got to be somewhere you know mildly exotic, right? Although their group is not as as exotic as many of us had hoped for. Oh, they're at home. They are at home to Maccabi Haifa. Well, when you say they're at home, they are at the Olympia Stadion, aren't they? Well, they're they're going to go to the Olympia Stadium and they're going to put up a bunch of red stuff and turn on the red lights and, you know, do their whole red thing. Yeah, and, i got to uh, be honest with you, yeah. Matt. I wouldn't have that <laughs> dude. if I was a Hertha fan. I would not be happy oh, with yeah, that Oh, yeah, it's trash. All. It's trash. This was – when it's, I was a – I'm a Palace fan and, like, when we had we had Charlton share with us for years and we had Wimbledon share with us for years and you used to – 
boil my piss, frankly, having them <laughs> yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, I feel you, man. And, and, and that's, that's, I mean, if there wasn't already strong impetus for Heritage to build their own stadium and, you know, have control over their own ground for a million financial reasons, that was a visceral reason yeah. <laughs> to, to get out of the stadium that they don't own yeah. so that Union can't come in and throw up a bunch of red garbage. <laughs> exactly. This is the kind of partisanship we want to hear from you in these <laughs> matters. That's just bang out of order. And I don't doubt that any Union fan would feel exactly the same way. But at the same time, can I just say the fact that Union can't play in the conference league in their stadium is utter, utter bobbins. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it's good enough for the Bundesliga, it's good enough for the UEFA Conference League. I'm sorry, but that is something. Somebody needs to slap around with a face with a wet fish for making that kind of decision. That is horseshit, I believe is the technical term. Exactly. I, and from the other perspective, I think it's a, I think it's a huge shame yeah. that Union can't play on their own ground. Because let's face it, their stadium is awesome. Yeah. Like it's they create an awesome atmosphere. It's it's really a lovely lovely place to go watch a football match. So they're missing out on something by that. Okay, I guess briefly we can mention, you know, Bochum and Stuttgart, they played a game, nobody scored. It was not a bad game, I thought, but I don't really have a whole lot to say about it other than, you know, once again, I, I thought Bochum were decent. They probably should have gotten a goal in the first half, but, you know, didn't. I think that Stuttgart were also a bit unlucky with the disallowed goal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was very close to the t-shirt line. So Yeah, although to be fair, I think when, when we're talking about t-shirt line and handballs, I feel now that they've also brought a little bit more intention into play in one of their more recent revisions of this rule, I feel like if you get hit like by a kicked ball on your, you know, your upper arm covered by the t-shirt, that probably isn't going to cause a VAR to, to step in. But he intentionally played the ball with his upper arm, which I think in my mind still is a handball. Yeah. Yeah. This I, is Stavros Mavropanos, by the way. Yeah, of course. I mean, the referee had a good look at it. He literally went over and had a second look at it and made it very clear. So unless, of course, he's got it in for Stuttgart, and of course, that's entirely possible because you know, <laughs> that's what happens, then I'd say you have to defer to the referee's judgment. After all, he's the referee who knows the laws of the game and knows how to interpret them better than I do. So, yeah, that's all good. Stuttgart need Kaladzic back, don't they? And they need Silas back, don't they? Yep, those two will probably equal some wins when they get back. All right, that is it for this edition of Talking Foosball Direct, which uh, was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. Great doing business with you again, Terry. Great to be done, as always, Matt. Always a pleasure. Very, very nice. Uh, if you want to do Terry yourself, you can you find him on Twitter, at Terry DeFellin. If you want to contact me or do me, uh, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman over there. Please do subscribe to the pod, wherever you get your pods, and uh, leave us a rating. Talk to your friends about us. The next edition of Talking Foosball Extra is going to be another Aufstieg edition. Nick has got that one cooking up in the next couple of days by the lower divisions of German football. Talking Foosball Fantasy, of course, with JT and Flo. They'll be setting you up for match day seven at the end of the week. Bis zum nächsten Mal, y'all.